Pace Line is produced by the Cycling Independent with the support of subscribers like you and additional underwriting from Shimano North America. We are community-focused, community-supported, and dedicated to the whole of cycling. Always remember, at the Cycling Independent, if you ride bikes, you're one of us. From the Cycling Independent, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Patrick Brady, and with me is my co-host, John Emlin, Robot Lewis. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. Um, it's hot as hell here. Oh, what is... Why is your finger blue? <laughs> I chopped part of it off. Um, I'm going to ask the dumb question, but it's the question everyone starts with. Why? <laughs> well, you know, I've written a lot about weight weenies and, uh, w- you know, how weight doesn't matter. But in the end, I've been converted. And think of this as like drillium for your body. I just was like that end of my finger. Ah, what's it doing for me? I'm just lugging it around all the time. So I chopped it off. And uh, the nerve endings contained therein. How did they feel about that? Um. Well... I can still feel the end of my finger, which I think is a good sign. Probably. Um, and I didn't really feel pain when I did it. So maybe that's a bad sign. I don't really know. I don't know what the story is. I do know that I'm headed to Kingdom Trails tomorrow to ride mountain bikes. And that's my trigger finger uh, for my rear brake. And so I'm a little concerned with how that's going to go. Mm. But but you know me. Very little stops you. Eat, pray, love. (laughs) Live, laugh. Crash. Ride your mountain bike like the end of your finger isn't missing. There you go. There you go. Um, I'm sorry it's hot there. You know, um, we've been burning fossil fuels for, what, uh, 170 years? Um, Yeah. And uh, we haven't done much to correct our ways, and so... It's going to be 102 here, which is better than the 109 we had on Monday or whatever. Uh, I'm disinclined to complain much because I fly on planes and I drive cars. So I'm part of the problem. That's an admirable. That is a constructive outlook. I do have an e-bike, so I uh, I'm attempting to be at least a couple steps in the direction of the solution. Yes, and I think we're going to talk about e-bikes today a little bit. It's going to come up a some. lot bit. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Why don't we jump in? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. Okay. So my, I am not going to talk. Well, I am actually going to talk about e-bikes uh, a little <laughs> bit today. That's true. Uh, I have. Uh, so everyone knows I have a history on this podcast of uh, proselytizing. Uh, um, evangelizing, yeah. whatever the word is, on behalf of the local bike shop. And I sometimes feel like a broken record, but I, I've had a few experiences just recently that have reinforced and reinvigorated my view that shopping with your local bike shop is not only better for them, but much better for you, or let me just say, much better for me. <laughs> 
Okay. So as some uh, will remember, I bought an e-bike online last year and it didn't go well. <laughs> In fact, I wrote about this on the website. The piece is called the Van Moof X3, a scam on two wheels. Um, many thousands of people have read that piece. So um, at least I'm getting the good word out. But after waiting eight or nine months for that bike to arrive in the first place, despite the website making it appear as though the bike was in stock when I bought it. When I finally got it, it was defective. Um, I did write all this up for the website. And in fact, the service saga is, is ongoing. I sent the bike back a month ago after waiting for the company to do something, anything, just even the most basic things for about six months. Uh, finally, they got around to giving me a call tag for the bike uh, I shipped it back to them, and I have not heard a peep about it uh, in about a month since I sent it back. So it remains a total debacle. Um, well, at least it's complete. Right. The bike, you mean? Uh, no, the debacle. Oh, the, the debacle is complete, <laughs> yes. Top to bottom, yes. it is a full debacle. It's a full debacle. It's the whole thing, yes. Uh and the thing is, my local bike shop sells e-bikes, and I should have bought one from them. Mm. I should have done it. Mm. So as frustrating as the experience has been, my part of the blame consists in knowing better. I know better. And in bypassing the shop and the solid service I get from them, um, I submitted myself to a brand long on hype and short on everything else. I'm going to jump in here for just a second. I'm going to ask you. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's suppose for an instant, uh, because e-bikes sold by bike shops are not without occasional challenges. Sure. Why don't you detail for us the things that you think would have been different if, say, your local shop had sold you the van move. If the shop had sent it to, uh, sold it to me, I would have taken it back there directly and given it to them to service. Mm -hmm. um, that would have taken one day and not six months. Um, if, if, as seemed to be the case with the van move, the bike was not imminently repairable, I could have said, I would like a refund, please. And under Massachusetts law, where I live, they would have been obligated to give me my money back. Whereas after um, roughly five months of waiting for Van Move to do the right thing, I requested a refund and was told, sorry, you're not eligible. <laughs> what, what would have made you eligible? Do you have any idea? Uh, no, no, no idea. Hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm also going to jump in and point out that a bike shop, because they have an account with a manufacturer, if they have a problem with a bike and it doesn't get resolved, that does threaten their relationship going forward. Bike shops have all sorts of ways of, of dealing with stuff. Every now and then, if something's slow to be replaced, they'll pull a bike off the floor and you know, steal from Peter to pay Paul. Uh, they'll pull yeah. parts off. I've seen that. I've heck I did it back in the day, something to keep an existing customer happy. 
uh, you know, that that was certainly a thing. Yeah, Van Moof. What I've gathered is that Van Moof does not have the staff or resources to make customers are having a bad experience happy. That that fits. That fits. Yeah. Yeah. And what bothers me is that they are still very aggressively marketing their bikes. Oh, as sure. If, as if they do have the capacity to service them properly. Well, I mean, they want everyone to believe that they've made a smarter e-bike. That's right. And I wrote about them when they first came out uh, as part of a, a larger examination of a few different bikes that were part of a design competition. And I pointed out that uh, they were part of uh, an emerging trend. This has been a couple of years since they first uh, came out. And there's been this trend of uh, manufacturers coming or, or, you know, new brands coming out and their principles being people who think they are smarter about bikes than people who've been doing bikes for their whole career. Sure. And so uh, without having a, a knowledgeable and experienced product manager on board who's actually been to Taiwan, talked to people in the factories and said, oh, well, yeah, we can get a tube drawn to those dimensions, but we're going to have to wait six months for the tooling. And then, you know, you're going to be in line behind Shimano's, which is getting a, a tube drawn for this. their knowledge of all those ins and outs and the things that will uh, slow delivery or make production harder or make production uh, more expensive or be more likely to result in, in manufacturing defects because the part is hard to make all that gets lost. Uh, they don't have any of that kind of institutional knowledge that comes from hiring, uh, smart and experienced people. And so you end up with a bike that looks really cool, but, um, oops, doesn't work. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I got, I got burned. I got, and that's really a shame, but your larger point about, oh golly, you could have given those dollars, dollars to your uh, local bike shop. I could have had a much better outcome for everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On a smaller scale, I bought a new helmet yesterday. Uh, I wrote about that for TCI Friday last week. And after getting kind of the input from that piece, uh, from from readers and after doing all sorts of research, I I'll be honest, I wasn't a lot closer to knowing what what helmet to buy. Uh, <laughs> so I went to the shop uh, at the shop. They know me uh, and they know about various ways I work in the industry. So I'm when I walk through the door there, I'm one of them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've even sold them things. Uh I've worked with some of them other places like we are, you know, we are as one. And yet once kind of all the pleasantries were out of the way, uh, the shop manager who I don't really know, he's one person I don't know very well there. Uh, he he took me over to the helmets and walked me through the various options, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of talking about the things that were important to me, like MIPS. Um, and, you know, there's different instantiations of MIPS, different quality. Uh, yeah. Uh, which I learned. Uh, and my number one thing was to have the most vents possible because of all the sweating that I do. Um, 
he treated me like any customer. You know, I said to him, I was vulnerable with him. I said, look, I really don't know what the difference is between these two. I don't I I just don't. I'm not an expert at all the things. Uh, mm-hmm. A narrow, a narrow variety of the things I claim some level of expertise in, but I don't know everything. And he just he just treated me like any customer. And at the end of the day, that it was a really good experience. And I got a helmet, I think, really meets my exact needs. I chose in the end uh, the Fox Speedframe Pro. Mm hmm. Um, and so I appreciated kind of not, first of all, not being brushed off as just another like know-it-all bike guy, uh, which I'm I'm not. And um, the serv- as a result, I think the service experience was great. It's the sort of thing I you just can't get buying online. A lot of times when you buy online, it's a crapshoot, right? Is the sizing right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Often not. Does the thing look like the the high res photo that they posted of it? Nope, not really. <laughs> um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Um, and there's one really great thing that can go right, and that is, you know, you're standing in a bike shop. They have actual stock. You're gonna know in a hurry if they've got your size or not. Yeah, that's right. Um. And I get it. I get that it for people, especially people who live most of their lives online. And I'm I'm one of them. Also, uh, you look at the variety of things that are available mm-hmm. in the world and you think, well, this is the pool that I'm picking from. And then you go to the bike shop and you think, well, no, there's only just the one or two things here. And you don't feel like you have the level of choice that you do other places. Yeah. Online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I support bike shops because I want bike shops to exist. I believe once you start sending your bike dollars out of your town, the more mm-hmm. quickly you will lose your local bike shop and they won't be there when you really need them. And there are times when I really need them. Yep. Yep. So for me, it's an investment in my community because I want to drive down the road and see a bike shop. Even if I yes. don't need to go in, I like to, Oh, there's the bike shop. That feels good. There's a bike shop in my town. It's also an investment in the future help I know I'm going to need from them. So I'm I'm not selective about what I buy. I don't buy like uh, gloves and latex and tire tools online, but then go for them to them for the few things that I really need them for. I give them all of the dollars. Uh, and I just call that my ante into the game of bikes. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense to you? Absolutely. Of course it does. I'm preaching where this is the no, choir. No, 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 I, that's not, that's not a fair uh, conclusion to draw. Um, you know, there were times where my relationships were uh, so deep and I was in contact with people so much um, and just, I don't know the, the, because the economy was different. Um, there were an awful lot of things that were just sent to me. Um, yeah. I dropped somebody an email and, you know, Hey, I need some tires for X. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, they'll get a review. Um, you know, I'm going to write them here. And it was all, you know, it was very above board for what things were, but, uh, I, 
A, I'm earning more now. Uh, B, yes, like you, I want to see my local shop, the one that's not even 100 yards from me, uh, stay in business. They're good people. They're part of the community. Um, they're actively engaged in the cycling, uh, cycling community uh, in a way that the uh, stores owned by Specialized now are not, if I may make that observation. And so... You know, I'm giving more money. I'm doing more shopping with that local shop now, even though there are people I could call and say, hey, um, there's an awful lot of stuff that I don't want somebody to just send me for free. Um, something has changed in this economy post uh, post pandemic. Um, and there's a lot more that even though no one thinks of it as being particularly unethical, I would just rather, you know, because I do actually have the money to be able to spend, I'd rather just buy it from a local shop and know that they've got my back um, and that I'm one more person trying to keep them afloat. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I like you, I can get free stuff if I make the right phone calls, but generally I don't like relationships where unless I have something to barter, mm -hmm. I don't really want to be on the receiving end of a sort of one way economic relationship. Mm -hmm. That doesn't feel great to me. I don't like. Yeah, I just don't like the entangling relationships that come from that. It's not that I never take stuff that's sent to me for review. I've got a few things right now, um, but they were things that I genuinely I didn't know about until I was contacted about them. Uh, and, and I will mention that they were given to me for free when I do the review. Generally speaking, like if I end up writing a review of this helmet that I just got, I bought that helmet. I don't have mm -hmm. to say anything. And I don't really know anyone at Fox either. I don't really, you know, so I, I, I prefer, uh, the scenario where there are no entangling relationships and mm -hmm. does it cost mm -hmm. me more than it needs to? Sure. But whatever, you know, I don't drive luxury cars, uh, or go on frivolous space journeys. So, you know, I can spend money on bike stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's the fun thing of like walking out of a store with the thing in your hand. I mean, I still get something out of that. I, you know, yeah. just as, just as much as when I was eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and from a carbon footprint point of view, the thing travels to your community one time. Whereas if you order a thing online, it travels to your community, you get it out of the box. Oh, it doesn't work right. Or it's not the right size or it's not whatever. I'm going to send it back. Now it goes all the way back. It either gets trashed outright or it gets repackaged and then recent like the carbon footprint of that is double yeah at least um so i just think it's more responsible and you know with big brands hoovering up shops and chains of shops uh this reality where the like the truly local shop is gone seems nigh and for me that's going to be a very sad day i don't i don't like to harp on and on and on about it but you know i live i live just outside boston i think i live six six miles from the center of boston mm -hmm. and so it's a fairly affluent town 
And there are all sorts of empty retail spaces. And mm. in large part, that's because the neighborhoods are full of full of delivery trucks. Yeah. Coming from here, there and everywhere. People buying everything and having it delivered to their their houses. And so when they go into town, oh, there's like five empty storefronts between this restaurant and that one. It's not awesome. It's you know, there's a piece of this that's about the communities we want to live in, too. Yes, very much. You know, one of the strange things that's happened here in Santa Rosa, Specialized bought uh, the big Specialized dealer. Um, They had three retail outlets here. And now it's, you know, so far as I can tell, all Specialized all the time. Hmm. Prior to Specialized buying them, um, there were an awful lot of lines that that shop would pick up just to keep them out of other competing shops to to Mm. stifle competition. And so one of the problems that breakaway bikes right by me had was getting a good line that they could keep because the other store would lean on the sales rep and said, well, you know, they, because the sales rep would carry multiple lines, they'd say, well, we're going to stop carrying these lines. If you keep selling this one to that shop, Mm. Now that Specialized has so much larger a presence in those uh, in that uh, business, it's beginning to free up other lines for Breakaway to pick up. And so I'm really encouraged that the collection of bikes that this little retailer that could uh, has is is going to take a continue to take a step up. I've already seen some changes. I'm encouraged for them. And so the emergence of Trek stores and specialized stores, it may help smaller retails, uh, smaller retailers in some ways. I'm not going to, you know, swear anything or bet anything, but I see the opportunity. I like your optimism. (laughs) Me too. Me too. Life is short. Let's smile. Yes. (laughs) All righty. We're going to take a break and we'll... With toy boat, toy boat. We're going to take a break and we will be back in just a minute. This podcast is brought to you by Shimano. Uh, I want to say that as our first sponsor for the Cycling Independent, uh, we tried to be pretty choosy about how who we decided to work with. The the thing that was particularly compelling uh, in talking to Shimano was that they didn't have any they they were on board with our independence and they the last thing that they wanted was to feel like uh, readers and listeners would interpret their sponsorship as some control. Uh, in fact, they were saying that um, you know in 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 this day they don't really need to sell products. They're not sponsoring us to try to sell more product. They're sponsoring us to try to support independent media. Uh, and those are easy words to say, but then in, in creating the sort of um, footprint that they would have with us, they offered no suggestions. They just said, we, we trust you guys to represent us sincerely and how, you, how it's going to work best for you. So let's just go with that. So I have to say huge respect for them and huge appreciation for making the podcast possible. Okay, we're back with the pace line, the podcast on two wheels. Time for your poll. What's up? So today I've got a question that I've been asked four or five times in the last couple of weeks. 
some by friends, by readers, and even one listener that I heard from. Uh, paraphrasing, condensing, it is, what's a good, inexpensive e-bike, and how much should I expect to spend? There is, of course, no one answer to this question. And inexpensive means different things to different people. So in my day job, I write about e-bikes and in a given week, I'll examine eight to 10 e-bikes very closely, um, generally by website, sometimes in person. Um, given the audience I'm working, f I I'm writing for, this is actually a very workable solution. Um, and I've been doing this for months now. Um, despite that, I continue to be surprised at just how many brands there are producing e-bikes. Um, and let's just go ahead and say, I even, I haven't even had a chance to write about Van Moof and, <laughs> and I am busy all the time. So every time I turn around, there's yet another brand new to me. Now, most of these brands are foreign, uh, like based in China, um, and the e-bikes are produced in China, some in Taiwan. Um, but there are plenty of examples of direct-to-consumer brands launched by Americans who are then sourcing the bikes overseas. These are brands that, by and large, don't appear in bike shops um, or even e-bike retailer showrooms, because that's now a thing. Um, it's funny how there are bike shops that we don't think of bike shops because really all they do is send e-bikes out the door. Right. Um, I'm beginning to take note of, you know, some locations around town. It's like, I ought to go in there. You know, who knows? Maybe I, I know some of the people working in there, but, I ought, you know, it'd be fun to see what other bikes I haven't seen yet. Um, so when e-bikes first started to take off here in the States, uh, about 10 years ago, it was hard to find one that retailed for less than $4,000. Seriously. Now I can point to one that is reasonably well-made that goes for just $7.99. Um, a couple of years ago, just as, as backstory, I was in a Ross dress for less. Yes. <laughs> I was in a Ross dress for less. And they had an e-bike for sale and it was less than a thousand dollars. And I wouldn't have let my childhood bully ride that thing. Uh, it scared me. Um, but, uh, the, uh, XP bikes, they make a bunch of folding bikes. The XP light goes for seven ninety nine, Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's not crazy. It's worthwhile. Um, at bike shops, most of what people will see will be class one, uh, which have a maximum speed of 20 miles per hour, um, at specialized dealers and some other places you'll see what they call pedelecs. I still don't know where that term came from. Um, that is e-bikes that will go a maximum of 28 miles per hour assisted. However, in the D2C, that is direct to consumer space, the great majority of bikes uh, I run across are class two e-bikes, which will go up to 20 miles per hour assisted, but also include a throttle. Uh, some of the class three e-bikes also include a throttle. So right now, for those wanting an inexpensive e-bike to commute to work on, run errands on, that sort of thing, the sweet spot with the D2C brands 
is in the $1,500 to $2,000 price range. For that, most commuters will come with a 500-watt hub motor, a battery good for 30 to 40 miles of range, uh, sometimes more, uh, a seven-speed drivetrain, uh, hydraulic disc brakes, a rear rack, lights, and fenders. Uh, all they really lack are panniers. Uh, most of those bikes will be class two. That is a 20 mile per hour max speed um, and a throttle. Um, in my experience, these bikes are reasonably nice. Um, and for someone who commutes regularly, but maybe not every day, these bikes are going to hold up reasonably well. One thing I'll say that I don't really like about these bikes is that they have a cadence sensor to control the motor, and they usually don't engage until the rider has pedaled half to three quarters of a pedal stroke. Every now and then, one will be quicker than that. Um, and while that's a bit annoying, what is more objectionable in my mind is how it's possible to pedal too softly to make the chain catch, uh, but the cadence sensor will detect motion and make the motor go. So someone can shift into the easiest gear, and as long as they are turning the pedals, the motor will send them up the road. Uh, having ridden these bikes, it makes me crazy. <laughs> um, I really, really don't like it. And it drove home just how much I love the torque sensor in my e-bike. Another point to be aware of is where D2C brands are concerned is that many of them come in only one size and then they'll claim they fit everyone from Lilliputians from Gulliver's Travels. Um, yay me for the literary reference uh, to NBA forwards. A few will come in two sizes, one being a step through model. Um, I really struggle with this. No one bike can fit everyone right. from five feet tall to six feet five. That's right. just not a thing. Right. Um, and so I find that pretty objectionable and I don't struggle to write about it for the rider who wants a higher quality ride. I would steer someone toward an e-bike with a mid drive motor. That's because the mid drive motors are the ones with the torque sensors, which means the bike will deliver power proportionally to the rider's effort pedal harder and it goes harder. It is a much more natural riding experience. Also, mid-drive motors insert power before the drivetrain, so they don't need to be as powerful as hub motors. Um, those motors, as a result, tend to produce less wattage, often in the range of 350 watts as opposed to 500 or 750. Um, and so they don't all, you know, accordingly, they don't need ginormous batteries uh, like you need with a an e-bike that has a 750 watt hub motor. Um, the upshot, they tend to be lighter. The bigger the motor, the bigger the battery, the heavier the bike. And there are, let me tell you from firsthand experience, there are e-bikes out there that weigh more than 80 pounds. Wow. Yeah. Uh, bikes with mid drive motors usually start at around $3,000, but there are some exceptions. I've even run across a couple of e-bikes with hub motors that include a torque sensor to make them ride more naturally. <sighs> Back to climate change um, and carbon footprint. Every study on climate change and what we can do to reduce our impact on the environment, reduce our carbon, uh, carbon footprint, says that 
Parking your car more is the best thing you can do. An e-bike is what makes that possible. And that's really my biggest single. I mean, aside from their fun and you get a little bit of exercise, um, that's my favorite reason for recommending e-bikes to people. Uh, it will help combat climate change. Um, it's it's an interesting world. I mean, there are new brands popping up all the time. There are new takes on it. As much as I don't like the, oh, we're smarter than the bike industry and here's a bike, I have to grant that there are times that I've seen some stuff uh, that has surprised me for its creativity. I tend to think these have been more uh, projects by some of the uh, some of the e-bike factories and things that their engineers have come up with, um, as opposed to somebody who got their MBA from, uh, you know, San Diego State or something. Um, but you know, I don't, I don't know that for sure. But there are fresh takes on what an e-bike can be all the time. The thing that I think. Uh, is most interesting is so I've got the Yuba Spicy Curry, which is a long tail cargo bike. It handles way better than the the back feats, the big bucket bikes where you put everything in front of the rider. Right. Those things handle almost as well as a school bus. Right. Uh, whereas the Yuba is more maneuverable than a tandem. Uh, it's easier to handle than a tandem, but it's it's still not quite as nimble as a normal bike. What we're starting to see in e-bikes are a bunch of bikes that are slightly longer tail, but not super long tail. Um, so they still handle super normally, but like you can get some groceries on them and put a kid on the back and the kid's nose is not rubbing your T-shirt. Um, <laughs> right. And and having some space between the two riders uh, increases the quality of the ride experience for both people. <laughs> Um, I, I can say with, with some conviction on that. Um, so there's some neat stuff out there and, uh, in our show notes, um, I will include a couple of links to bikes that I like. I like that. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, uh, there is a sea, a sea of e-bikes out there. And as well as entries from, you know, the big companies. Um, and it is very hard to know what the right choice is. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, you know, one thing that I, I don't want this to come across as a knock to bike shops, but I do wish that more of our traditional brick and mortar bike shops would uh, get behind e-bikes in a bigger way. Um, and understand that the people who are coming in don't know anything at all about bikes yeah. and uh, do a better job of embracing them. This is this is something that's only going to grow um, and it's going to grow massively. And for somebody already selling bikes to get on board with this uh, is a well, it, it'll allow you to sell the bike shop at some point is what it'll do. Yeah, it's a necessary transition. I think that uh, a lot of bike shops, which are full of bike people, probably have some of the same prejudices, biases that I had at the beginning, which was, look, if you're not pedaling, you're not riding a bike. Uh, you know, a very snobby, 
mm-hmm. whatever point of view that I have since moved past. But um, I think there were those that embraced it from the beginning, like, oh, this is coming. And anyway, you know, <laughs> maybe they just thought another product line to sell is not a bad, <laughs> bad choice. Yeah. Um, but some yeah. resisted it because, you know, the buy in from a lot of them was uh, expensive and like us, they probably didn't know immediately which ones to get. Yeah, uh, that's certainly a challenge. Uh, and, you know, and I got to be honest, it still bugs me uh, to be out riding along on the bike path and have somebody uh, who's not pedaling at all uh, come screaming by 12 inches from me, um, not pedaling at all. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I... <laughs> It's a dumb thing for me to get annoyed at. It does me no good. It's a waste of energy. I don't even know why I react that way. Uh, It has done me no harm, but I don't want to shame anybody else for having that reaction because look at me. I have it too. Uh, At some point I'll get over that. Uh, As long as people are pedaling, I don't have that reaction. So, I mean, it's something within me. Yeah. But it's nice to see more people out on bike paths pedaling along. Uh, all right, let's move on to Paceline Picks. Sounds good. Sounds good. So this this weekend, I'm headed to Kingdom Trails, as I mentioned, in Vermont for a weekend of mountain biking with friends. And that's going to mean long days in the saddle. Uh, and long days in the saddle means less desire or opportunity to stop at home base to refuel and resupply. So I'm taking mm. with me the Osprey Raptor 10 mountain bike mountain biking pack. Um, this is a mountain biking pack with a three liter hydration bladder and enough storage to bring food, clothes, and you know some knickknacks, some gigaws, <laughs> some bric-a-brac. <laughs> As well. Calling it the 10, does that mean it's a 10-liter pack overall? It's a 10-liter pack overall, that's right. Okay. Um, the challenge I have with it is that to make sure I don't bring too much stuff because it has like all that capacity. <laughs> yeah, I don't need yeah. really need to be mountain biking all day with 10 liters of stuff, uh, especially if three of them are electrolyte. Um, they do make, if you are an everything but and the kitchen sink person, they make a Raptor 14. Um, you might look at that that version i don't know why you would do that uh you're a hoarder um <laughs> name calling aside one thing i particularly like about this is it's low profile uh it's just not bulky like the way it cinches down and stays put is nice and it's super <laughs> adjustable right so it fits torsos of different uh different dimension um but it doesn't feel like a big old thing on your back while you're mountain biking um mm. Especially as I fatigue, that becomes super important. Like in the first hour, I could probably haul the Empire State Building around. But then after that, my capacity, my agility, my everything deteriorates quickly. So having something that feels like snug and part of me is important. Mm-hmm. Osprey does a good job with that. The three liters of electrolyte I can carry are important for me also this time of year. <laughs> going to get to 80 on saturday in northern vermont uh and while that's not particularly hot it's hot enough for me to be a sweat bath uh and so i have to keep on the fluids um yeah this pack the raptor 10 is normally 155 bucks retail but 
I checked this morning, it's actually on sale right now from Osprey for $107.95. Mm. If you have any need for a new long day hydration pack, that's a screaming deal. Uh, it comes yeah. in four colors. I, of course, have the black. The other colors are orange sunset, cedar green, and wildfire red. Exciting. Mm -hmm. All right. So I don't often pick products that I haven't personally tested, but considering just how many e-bikes I've examined in the last six months, I'm feeling pretty good about this pick. It's the Specialized Turbo Como e-bike. Um, if I were to recommend an e-bike to people who weren't looking for uh, something more cargo oriented and prices less of an object, this is the bike I would steer people toward. It's aimed at commuters and it comes in two frame designs, one traditional and a step through design. And both frames come in three sizes. It comes in seven different specs, uh, seven different versions, ranging from 3250 at the low end up to 5750 at the high end. All of the Turbo Comos feature a mid-drive motor with a max speed of 28 miles an hour, making them class three e-bikes um, and not legal on every road out there, unfortunately. Um, as far as drivetrains are concerned, riders have a choice between nine speed 11 speed and a continuously variable internally geared hub specialized includes front and rear lights, fenders and a rear rack. Just add panniers. Uh, the turbo Como uh, also features what is the most sophisticated security system I've run across for e-bikes. Thanks to their mission control app. Uh, it can be used to disable a bike so that you can't pedal it. And it can even locate the stolen bike. Um, it's specialized. I don't like a whole lot of specialized business practices um, because they're very aggressive about their growth and their dominance. But the Turbo Como is a really amazing bike. And it's because they make such good bikes that they've been in a position to get so aggressive. So this is a little bit of a mixed bag here. Um, I don't necessarily want to give you know, specialized a lot more money, but good grief. After all the e-bikes I've seen, I have to say that when it comes to a compute commuter, <laughs> theirs is the best one I've run across. It really is a dynamite bike. They ought to be ad uh, advertising this one just for the security features alone. Uh, the mission control app integrates with their head unit and it just does a really remarkable job. So, there will be a link to this as well as some other e-bikes in our show notes. Alrighty. That's a wrap on another episode of the pace line. You're off to kingdom trails with uh, most of a, an index finger. That's right. That's my plan. Okay. Try not to go over the front end. Cause I can't use the rear brake. I mean, I can't use the front brake, the rear. I mean the rear. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm I'll motocross that my brake so I can, yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking you'll probably get that sorted out before you get there. Uh, my whole plan is not to use the brakes. That's, huh. let's just revise. Game plan is just don't use brakes. Okay, all right. Uh, well, before we go, um, I'd like to put in a plug for what could end up being the final episode <laughs> of uh, Revolting, uh, our other podcast currently. Um, that's because John 
co-hosts it with Steve Knievel of All Hail the Black Market. Um, you know, even though it's not very much about bikes, bikes do enter into it here and there. Uh, we're hoping that you like it. And if you do, please subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, send us some questions. This is fun. I like answering questions. If you've got an idea, please drop by the Cycling Independent and put a suggestion in the comments. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with John Lewis. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.